Hi everyone, this is Terry, your host for Digging Through Dominoes, where we explore the dominoes of our past to help us figure out our future. Not only our future, but that of our children and for future generations. It is in with our power to change the game. Let's get to it. Welcome to Digging Through Dominoes, a podcast that looks at mental, physical, and emotional trauma through real and inspiring conversations. This is your safe haven that welcomes you in, but also isn't afraid to talk about what hurts the most. And now, here's your host, Terry Anderson. As I said in the beginning, welcome back. This is episode nine of Digging Through Dominoes. As I was researching for this episode, I, I came across an article by Psychology Today or in Psychology Today that reminded me of a quote. The first headline of the article says, effects of emotional abuse. It hurts when I love. That headline reminded me of a quote. See if I can pull it up here without ditching my stuff. Here it is. Many trauma survivors hold their breath and their bodies tightly, bracing themselves for whatever is coming next. Staying alert for years takes a toll. Create spaces where you can take armor off. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you understand exactly what that quote is speaking of. We do have to develop that armor. And getting back to this article in Psychology Today, they begin to describe emotionally abusive behavior, which greatly differs from emotional abuse. Emotionally abusive behavior can happen anytime, randomly, everyone does it, and that is when you intentionally hurt the feelings of another person. Many of us can recognize our wrong almost immediately and correct that, but there are many of us that don't and won't correct that behavior. When that happens, it becomes an emotionally abusive relationship. Believe me, I have them all around me, which is why I am guarded. My heart is guarded. I'm checking people out. I'm watching out because I don't trust these people. None of them. The article goes on to to say that emotionally abusive behavior has to be distinguished from an emotionally abusive relationship. I think most of us that watched the infamous Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial were able to see parts of ourselves in that trial, parts of our abusers in that trial. I'm not going to say who I backed and who I thought Cause I, you know, I don't want to get into that. That's over. It's in the past. And hopefully everyone can heal. And the one that needs to get help can get the help they need. So this doesn't happen again. So psychology today says, when was this? This article was actually posted in 
August of 2008, but it's still very relevant today. In an emotionally abusive relationship, one party systematically seeks to control the other party by means of undermining his or her confidence, worthiness, growth, or trust. Gaslighting, the famous phrase gaslighting, oh my gosh, or making them feel crazy or unstable, manipulating them with fear or shame. I'm going to give you some of their examples and then I'll give you some examples of my own. Here are some examples of how some people attempt to gain emotional control over their partners or people in their lives. You shouldn't spend too much on clothes. They don't look good on you anyway. Don't complain about how bad you have it. Others have it worse. No one could love you the way I love you. Working and taking classes is too much for you. You can't handle what you do now or what you're supposed to do now. Where you sit is a mess. Why don't you organize it? Uh, Well, because our brains are disorganized. We're in chaos. And go sit on your other side. Your friends and family only want something from you. I have a huge feeling, unconfirmed, but a huge feeling. This phrase has been used repeatedly on someone very close to me. Or I should say that was very close to me. I have to have a drink just to be able to stand you. One of these days, you'll wake up and I'll be gone. Or its counterpart, I'm leaving you, which is said several times a month or in every argument. You don't know the first thing about raising kids. It's really important to understand that not all emotional abuse is direct and verbal as those examples. All of the above can be applied with sarcasm. Many times what you're going to hear If you object to one of these phrases, which are just a small sampling of a myriad of phrases that someone trying to control you uses, many times when you call them on it, they will say, I was just joking. Can't you take a joke? You weren't just joking. Don't tell me that because I know you weren't just joking. The article goes on to say that everything above can be implied with body language, size, rolling of your eyes, grimaces, tone of voice, cold shoulders, etc. There are so many ways to be emotionally abused. And a lot of times we don't realize we're being an emotionally, we are being emotionally abused because we are so used to it. We have been groomed. We have been conditioned. Started out with the love bombing phase. We all know that phase, the honeymoon phase. And then you trickle down into these other situations. I was in a relationship with a friend that I would have been trying to help And this, so this, what this does, it shows that it's not just with spouses or romantic partners. It can be in friendships. And this friendship 
I'm going to tell you guys about at another time. But I noticed it immediately and I was on guard. I think one of the first things I noticed was when she said, we're, here we are, we're back at your favorite sushi place. And I remember clearly saying, I've never been to this place in my life. Yes, you have. We've been here like three or four times. No, I haven't. Now, I've had people gaslight me where it's much more subtle than that. But this was out and out. Neon gaslighting. And I knew it. But I continued with relationship kind of gave her the benefit of the doubt. I should have run at that point, but I didn't. This article goes on to speak of consistent gender distinction in abusive relationships. And I really think, I haven't read beyond that as of yet, but I really think we have to be careful about gender bias in relationships like this. If anything, this trial I mentioned before is a wonderful example of how you cannot base emotional abuse on gender. What it is speaking of when it speaks of gender uh, distinction is the differences in ways that men versus women control their partners. With men, what's seen more consistently is manipulating her fear of harm, isolation, the silent treatment, isolating her from her friends or from having friends, deprivation, and threatens or implies repeatedly that he's going to leave her. They go on to say that emotionally abusive woman, on the other hand, controls her partner by his fear of not being able to provide for his family and uses that against him. Things along the lines of, why did you pick that profession? We could have been better off had you just done this. You're not a real man. And these are not isolated incidents. These are something that's happening continually in these relationships. This article goes on to say that the difference in vulnerability, vulnerability, I said it, to fear and shame is exactly why Why this symmetry in emotionally abusive behaviors vanishes in emotionally abusive relationships. I'm not real sure what they just said, but let's find out. I, I don't know if you're like, what? Like I am. They're saying that women engage in this, these behaviors as much as men do. But the systematic use of emotional abuse to control another person is generally, remember this was written in 2008, the domain of men, simply because it's easier to control someone with fear 
than with shame. Now, when I step back and I put my personal spin on this and I look at it from my perspective, in my life, fear is a much stronger weapon of choice or weapon to use than shame. You can shame me all you want. I I had that growing up. I had fear growing up the entire time. But that fear triggers the abandonment of my childhood. And that's serious business to continually tell someone you're going to leave them. For no reason. You're just going to leave them. A typical defense, this article goes on to say, in someone using shame to manipulate or control someone is to tune it out. Just tune it out. But when you have that thought of fear in the back of your mind, how do you tune that out? You can't tune that out. Although we never forget the humiliation that shame causes, fear is so much stronger with its talons around a person's heart, their mind, and their soul. As I was saying, shame is easy to just tune out, or it's easier to just tune out. It still hurts. It's still there, but you can tune it out. Some of us can. Some of us can't. Especially when you're being betrayed by someone that's using it, and you know that that's what's happening You can't tune that out. But if you contrast that with fear, fear is actually one of our primal alarm systems that is designed for us to recognize dangerous situations. And its power is immense. The more you sense fear, the article goes on to say, the more sensitized you become to possible danger. You know, a lot of times we can become desensitized to things. I didn't realize this about fear. The more you're threatened, the more someone uses fear against you, the more sensitized you become, the more hypervigilant, the more that fear hurts. The article goes on to explain that merely holding back or refraining from this type of abuse, the verbal emotional abuse, will do nothing to improve a relationship. It may slow the rate of deterioration. To repair the harm done, there has to be compassion, not ego. Compassion, not pride. And it needs to be shown over a period of time. Because you're already in a situation where we don't trust whomever or they don't trust us. It's going to take time. And we have to realize our, our, our part in the t- deterioration, what we have said time after time after time, what we have done time after time after time, I'm using that as a collective we that includes not just victims, but really the perpetrators that makes this a relationship that the other partner questions 
and holds at arm's length. If they don't get the compassion, and if they're shown every time that someone else matters more, the relationship is not going to sail on smoothly. Both parties have to try and make an attempt in returning to caring about the way the other person feels. Put yourself in their shoes. The inability to distinguish objections to a loved one's behavior from value for the loved one is at the heart of emotional abuse. You can and must negotiate your behavior, the behavior you don't like. That is easier said than done. But you cannot devalue the person you are supposed to love. And I think where that hits home with a lot of us that have had emotional and verbal abuse as a child is that it, it's, it seems to be a never-ending and a continual re-traumatization and it continually re-traumatizes us. Our parents wanted to abandon us. Some of them did. Now our partner is telling us continually they're going to abandon us. That goes to the heart of fear. You cannot live your life in a state of continual fear. This person means more. My whole life as a child was someone else meant more than I did. My life as an adult is about the same thing. And that's hard to take. It really, it, it does a number on you. I think I'm learning pretty well how to hold people at arm's length, how to disengage so things don't escalate. And I'm realizing this other person means more. Why worry about it, Terry? It's not going to change. And believe it or not, even though it hurts and it hurts a lot, it helps. It helps me gain confidence that I need to be able to say, I can go on with my own life and I can be okay. That's hard to do. That's really hard to do. It's a daily effort. And I think that's what I'm speaking of when I come to this other part of the article, this talking about developing self-compassion. They say that it is the key to increasing compassion for loved ones. To a lot of people, that doesn't make sense. But people that perpetrate the emotional abuse, they're hurting themselves. They don't have compassion for themselves. They should have done better. They shouldn't have done this. They shouldn't have done that. If they can see themselves with more compassion, they can give more compassion to the people that they have injured. The article says self-compassion is the ability to recognize when you are hurt with a motivation to heal and improve. That's what I'm trying to do here for me. 
I am hurt and I have a motivation to heal and improve. I don't want to hurt anyone. I have. I don't like that. I want things different. The article goes on to say how complicated this can become with someone you love. With them, you must recognize that when you're angry, you feel devalued or unlovable. You perceive your loved one to have said or done something to devalue you. With self-compassion, you have two alternatives to anger and retaliation. Since the real problem is you feel devalued or unlovable, you will move forward to make a real solution. Thus, this podcast. I want to help people move past and recognize that they are not alone in their lives. If you do something strong, and I'm quoting from the article, if you're doing something strong, that makes you feel more valuable and more lovable. And in this quote from the article, in the history of humankind, no one has ever felt more valuable and more lovable when they hurt the person they love. Neither anger or compassion solves the problem in love relationships, but compassion puts you in a space where you're more likely to solve the problems that are affecting your relationship. And at the very least, you will never be emotionally abusive with compassion. And continuing to quote the article, think of times when you have been angry at someone you love and compare those times to when you have felt compassion for those you love. In which emotional state were you more likely to get the more favorable outcome? Which do you prefer, the article asks, which feels like the real you? The author of this was Stephen Stonesy, PhD. He treats people for anger and relationship problems, and his recent books include How to Improve Your Marriage Without Talking About It and Love Without Hurt. And I think I kind of skipped here. We were talking about, we had been talking in the previ- previous episode about parenting, parenting attachment, attachment styles, and how they affect our adult relationships. But this article caught my eye as I was researching for this episode, and I thought it was pretty important. Something else happened last night that I wanted to address. For anyone out there that may not have PTSD or complex post-traumatic stress disorder, I was in a forum, an online forum, an online forum, I think the Texas came out, I was on an online forum again last night and I saw a person that I didn't know make a post asking their friends and family to please research severe post-traumatic stress disorder because this person had recently been diagnosed. I read through the thread. I contributed to the thread The thread was heartbreaking in a lot of ways. There were people that were joking about it. And 
you know, for a person to post something like that in a public forum, they have to be hurting. They have to be wanting help. And for someone to joke about it or say, oh, just smoke some weed, that's not going to cut it. They're asking for your help to understand what they need and how you can be of value to them. So this thread went on for quite some time. And this person got very discouraged and said, I'm not sharing anything personal with anyone ever again. That is the last thing we want in situations like this. If we don't share, those of us with CPTSD, PTSD, complex post-traumatic stress disorder, childhood trauma and neglect, if we don't share our, our experiences and have compassion for those that have the same experiences or very similar to ours, what good are we? We need to be there to support people like us because my gosh, it took me 60 years to get here. And I have had 12 years of therapy, 10 of which I didn't even broach my childhood because it was so traumatic. The last two years, I started dipping my toes into it. And it wasn't until the last few months that I really said, I'm ready to confront this. My biggest fear was if I confronted my childhood, I would be somehow not loving my parents or showing them disrespect. That's what took me so long. Because I did love my parents. I, do res I did respect them. They have both unfortunately died. But as I think I said in a previous episode about 30 years ago, I was in an, in an adult children of alcoholics class. And one of the things I came away with, or the biggest thing I came away with was realizing my parents did the best they could with what they had. We're all just swinging it as parents. We really are. Very few parents I know actually sit down and read a good book or 10 about parenting and take the best from those books and put it to their children. They're too eager to get back to work. They're too eager to brush off feelings. I'm not, sh I'm not saying that no parent is without fault. We all have our faults. We have all made those mistakes. I have mistakes I made with my kids that are seared into my soul. I wish I could change them. But one thing was, I've recognized them. I am addressing them. And I'd like you guys to kind of think about that too. I think you know what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, there were several in instances that I can recall off the top of my head that I, I did something and instantly regretted it. But it was too late. The damage was done. My child was injured. They were emotionally injured. And nothing is going to heal that injury. So when I saw the, this, this friend reaching out for help and saying that he wasn't going to ask for help anymore or, or divulge any personal information, yeah, I think in a way you have to be careful who do you divulge things to because you can end up in a situation where you are attacked, 
where people say, oh, get over it. Snap your fingers. It wasn't that bad. Don't worry about it. Come on, smoke some weed. You'll, you'll be fine. Well, smoking weed is all fine and good, but you know what? You're self-medicating. You're not looking at the root cause of the problem. If you don't look at the root cause of the problem, you're not going to fix the problem. The problem is going to continue and it is going to continue until one day it may burst. And that's nothing any of us want to see. Have compassion for those around you. Everyone around you is fighting a fight you don't know anything about. That's one thing I know I have said when I first started to fray or feel the fray coming on. I would sit in Starbucks and watch everyone come in with their Lobaton heels, their Chanel purses, their Chanel suits, all of their facades. And I would wonder, what are you hiding? Because up until that point, my family looked picture perfect. No one would have known what was behind the walls. And then I broke. When I broke, since no one knew what was behind the walls, I became the bad man because no one knew and I didn't speak. Yes, in some instances I did. I was the bad person because people could not see behind the wall. So what are we going to do? A person's asking for help. Be there. You can always say, I will do some research on that. If that friend matters to you, you will do some research on complex post-traumatic stress disorder. You'll see what you may be doing to trigger them. It's not just their problem. It is a problem of society at large. It's a problem that if we all work together, we can change it. With that, guys, I think I'm going to sign off. I don't have anything else for this episode. We will be back again next Tuesday. If anyone out there would like to be a guest on Digging Through Dominoes, whether anonymously or not, please email me. Let me know. I'm trying to get everyone booked in and allow them to share their reality. Take care of yourselves, guys. And until, rem until then, remember, we can change the game. Thank you for listening to Digging Through Dominoes. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Terry on Facebook and Instagram at Digging Through Dominoes on Twitter at Digging Dominoes, and online at diggingthroughdominoes.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.